This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. I went to like a nose specialist and he was like, yeah, so you've got a small nose. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, he's like, so, you know, it's hard for stuff to come out. (laughs) Is this the real reason you're straight edge? He said, you've got a lovely nose, but it doesn't work very well. That's what he said to me. I was like, thanks. Hey, everyone. Emerald and a tiny nose is back. <laughs> I'm Hooray. Back. I'm really sorry, everyone. It's all right. There's stuff going disappearing. on. More importantly than that is the fact that <laughs> all-star Liberal MP Tim Smith might be back on the political scene, baby. I don't know who this guy is. I just can't believe. I guess, I mean, you hate Victoria and everything that we do and everything mm. that's going on down there. But uh, Tim Smith was like, he sort of broke through. So he was a massive anti-lockdown, anti-Dan Andrews, oh. crazy man um, who had a little bit of trouble, I suppose, uh, I'll let you know the scandal in a second, and had to leave Victorian politics. But Ryan Smith, who's a Liberal MP for Warrandyte, has announced that he's resigning, he's getting out. He's saying, among other reasons, I've become increasingly uncomfortable with the growing negative tone of politics, both oh internally God. and more broadly. Isn't that sad? What did he? Oh, okay. Of course, you look it up and just immediately the receipts come through. In 2014, <laughs> when he was Environment Minister, Ryan Smith had to deny calling his political rival a liar and a bitch during a late-night parliamentary hey, session. Hey, that's just not on, guys. That's not civil. Didn't we come here to be nice to each other? Leaving politics to spend more time just being kind. Just being nice and well, you go to the corporate sector. You'll be pleased Hashtag to know. So be I'm sure kind we'll be- and make money. That's- Yes. Anyway, Tim Smith has said, oh, hello, so there's going to be a by-election. Maybe I should come back and enter Victorian politics. Tim Smith was the member for Q, uh, which sort of sits in the um, mem- the federal seat of Kuyong, Josh Frydenberg oh, territory. Oh, it's not the same seat. I see. Okay. No, yeah, just the state. Uh, he used to be a rower. There's a photo of him meeting Margaret Thatcher when he was a young kid, and he looks a little bit hot in there, which makes me feel confused. He became the youngest ever mayor of Stonington at age 26. At his 30th birthday, former Morrison government ministers Greg Sorry, Hunt and- mayor of what? Stonington. Stonington. <laughs> you got a problem with that? Also, he does not look hot in this photo, Tom. I think he looks kind of- He looks a lot hotter than he does now, I suppose. Okay. Sorry, go thing. on. At his 30th birthday, former Morrison government ministers Greg Hunt and Josh Frydenberg and Liberal power broker Michael Kroger gave speeches. At his 30th birthday, okay? Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the kind of coolness we're talking about. He wins the seat of Q in 2014, the same year the Liberals are completely tossed out of Victorian state politics. Mm-hmm. He would later become a shadow attorney general for the Liberals, despite not holding a law degree, which seems I like find an that odd move. You like that? Yeah, he's got a fresh take on the law. Mm. Famously, when COVID started kicking off, there were all these bats in in a garden in Kew. What? And he started campaigning against the bats that were there and thought that we needed a bat You mean like flying foxes? Uh, We have actual bats, I think, who are maybe introduced. And there are like shitloads of bats flying around. But he was, yes, (laughs) but he was making the very clear leak that there are all these bats in this nice Oh, right, right, bats, COVID. COVID, yes. They're going to get COVID. Oh, my God, I love that. But, of course, in 2021, things go really sour for Tim Smith when he crashes his new Jaguar into a Hawthorne house outside an eight-year-old's bedroom while oh. driving at more than twice the legal blood alcohol limit. Yeah. Okay, ringing bells. Everyone was fine. The eight-year-old girl was <laughs> was fine, probably just scarred for life. But he got an infringement notice and had his license suspended for 12 months. 
He gave an incredible press conference when he wasn't quite clear whether or not he was going to be resigning. Uh, that's very painful and really political nerd should check it out if you get a chance. Uh, but during that press conference, he said that his doctor told him, you're not mentally unwell, you're just an idiot. He said that his doctor told him that. <laughs> he said that his doctor said this, yes. Oh, my God, this guy. Uh, so he's boozing like crazy. Anyway, he could be coming back. And um, he's, he fucked off to London. He moved to London. He just had to get out of woke Melbourne. But he's coming and back because he but just he misses of, it so much. I guess he's expressed an interest to move back from London to move into a seat which he hasn't lived in that's different to the seat that he, he served Was for he years. expelled from the Liberal Party? He was basically said you have to go. He served out the rest of his term until the state election last year. Because uh, I guess they were pretty close to an election, so they wouldn't have a by-election. Mm. But um, yes, Matthew Guy eventually. Tim Smith says that Matthew Guy, the leader of the Liberals, said, "Hey, you can beat this, and you should hang on because I can't win this election without you." <laughs> uh, Matthew Guy denies that uh, circumstance of events and said, "No, no, you need to go because you <laughs> you drove your Jaguar mm. into there was an eight-year-old thing with the eight-year-old child, <laughs> yeah, which is something you really never want to say." <laughs> Anyway, I want him back. He's very entertaining. So uh, more Tim Smith, I say. Yeah, that sounds – I mean, I'm sure he's just as evil as the rest of them, just a little bit more funny. Still funny. More Emerald Moon, more Tim Smith. (laughs) I My absence was not due to crashing my car into the (laughs) bedroom of an eight-year-old child, just to be clear. (laughs) And I will not be resigning. The Greens have yet again reminded us why they are nothing more than a group of petulant kids. Lydia, come take us back. We miss you. We can be just as profane and stupid and offensive as you. Let's get back together. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. Serious danger to Australia. More serious danger too, I reckon. That's what this podcast is. It's a podcast about green politics in Australia. It's not an official Greens Party podcast. It is made possible with the help of the wonderful people at the Green Institute and our producer, Michael the Griff Griffin. This week, Emerald, we're discussing Labor's broken petroleum resource red tax, the PRRT. PRRT in the AUS. What? And the avalanche of student debt that is coming down the pipeline directly at all of our faces. That's this week. Mm. New patrons. This is in the last week. Giselle, last Dylan, couple of weeks, I think, because we released a live app last week. That we oh, because you these. did the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Giselle, Dylan, Willie or Wiley, Willie, Callan, Nikki, Lauren, Annie, and Hugo, you cute little patrons. Um, yeah, you released the chat that you had with Geraldine Hickey at the live show as a Patreon bonus last week, and obviously there's a whole bunch of other very exciting episodes on there. If you're not already a patron, you should go check it out. Only three bucks a month. Helps keep the show going. What's not to love? What's not to love? And we don't index the <laughs> patron contribution, minimum contribution either. So, you know, we're nice guys. Yeah. Gosh, the real value of people's Patreon uh, contributions mm. is getting hacked away at by inflation, goddamn. <laughs> PIRT in the USA, except it's the AUS. It's the Petroleum Resource Rent Tax. <laughs> Do you know what this is, Tom? Do you know what the PRRT is? Uh, I only vaguely talked about it a little bit when we were doing those episodes around the budget, okay, and many mm. people had some wonderful laughs about just how shitty it is and how it's been endorsed <laughs> by the resources sector, which lets you know how shit it is. Um, and it's, it is different to the mining tax or it's what the mining tax ended up being? 
Uh, the mining tax might refer to, yeah, like when they tried to do this for coal and it didn't really work. Is that what right. you mean? Yeah, gotcha. potentially. And it's different to royalties as well. Okay. And that's kind of the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I should have just gone and listened to the episode of my own show when I wasn't <laughs> on and that could have given me some background because instead I spent all this time trying to understand this stupid tax and how it works. And for anyone who, like me, tell me if you've already explained this on the show, Tom, but- for those who don't know, it's basically it's designed to tax the like super profits. It's meant to be a windfall tax mm-hmm. on our offshore gas producers who operate under Commonwealth jurisdiction. Um, so a forty percent tax rate that applies to returns for income tax um, after all exploration, development, operation, and production costs are deducted. So it's a little bit different to, yeah, like other excises and royalties because it is directly tied to profits rather right. than just how much you're producing, for example. And projects that do have to pay the PRRT don't currently have to pay any royalties. Right. Yeah, um, federal royalties. So this, the, it, it actually was introduced by the Hawke government in, I think, late, late 80s and replaced a federal royalty scheme for um, oil and gas producers. Uh, also, fun. I mean, I guess this makes sense, but then you can deduct anything that you would pay on the PRRT from, like your corporate tax. Uh, right, in- that's already a tax, tax liability. Okay, but and the yeah. Sorry, yeah. can I ask what is a royalty scheme, or should we lay out what that is and, and how this this is different? That's, I guess, you pay a certain amount to the state for. How much, um, how much of a resource you are producing, or, or ex- like I think, yeah, actually producing as opposed to selling, right? And usually, I mean, I'm most familiar with it at a state level. It's been kind of significant, like a lot of discussion around mining royalties in Queensland mm. recently, because the Queensland government introduced these new tiers of um, coal royalty levels that that have net them like an extra like $6 billion in, mm-hmm. you know, um, in this upcoming budget because they've raised royalties on on coal mining corporations that they have to pay as a proportion of, uh, I guess, the value of these resources that they have extracted because theoretically those resources are meant to belong to all of us. And so we should get a share when these corporations are um, extracting them and using them and profiting from them. Yeah, because we stole the land that these resources That's come right, from, and they belong to, to all of us. us. Yes, yeah, us white people, <laughs> white Australia. <laughs> so yes, that's the theory behind royalties, but this is slightly different. But this tax, it seems like, doesn't really work very well at all. Uh-huh. Is kind of the problem. So it only, well, only. I mean, a billion dollars is a lot, but in the scheme of the federal budget, it's not a whole lot. In the scheme of coal, yeah, I don't know about know, you, oil and gas profits, where I'm from, it's not a lot. A billion dollars is a lot of money. Okay. Yeah, I know. Very. I don't know how you grew me. up in luxury, yeah. but you know, for me. <laughs> For me, when we knew the value so of a dollar, a billion dollars mm. was like, you know, that's a fair, that's a fair amount. Yeah. Well, for me, it's not that much. Uh, for the <laughs> for the federal budget, that's what it like. It, I think it. Yeah, this tax collects around a billion dollars a year, but it's mostly from oil, not gas. Right. Because in fact, to date, as I understand it, and this was in the the budget, not a single LNG liquefied natural gas project has paid any PRRT. And many are not expected to pay significant amounts of PRRT until the 2030s. Hmm. So that billion mostly comes, it just comes from oil. Yeah. The other thing to note, which we'll come back to later, is that the 
PRRT didn't initially, when it was introduced, apply to the Northwest Shelf, which is like one of Woodside's biggest projects. I think that um, the the projects there are operated now by a bunch of different resource companies, um, but Woodside is kind of the big one. But then it was added in to this scheme in 2012. Before we move on, sorry, did you have an understanding as to why the Hawke government replaced the royalty scheme with the PERT and was it to collect less money from these fucking companies or to give them a break in the booming 80s when the Hawke government was very good friends with corporate Australia? That's a good question. I feel like it probably was to somewhat give them a break. Like it was probably almost to encourage oil and gas exploration, but that that's me kind of just going off vibes. I think it was like uh, royalties are too expensive or difficult because – yeah, they would mean that these companies that a lot of a lot of which are just like just starting up and trying to compete with global producers are having to pay too much, and so yeah. we should create this scheme, which also allows them to, and this is one of the big problems with the scheme, deduct their expenses on a rolling basis to right. avoid paying any of this tax. So yeah, what's right. really like cooked about the PRRT, and I don't know if you've got into this, is that gas companies can carry over their losses into the next year right. as deductions against it. And then those those losses will be indexed at the long-term bond rate. But what that means is that as, as it's been like, since it's been set up, a lot of gas companies who are obviously very good at dodging tax, uh, quote unquote, weren't making profits. So they mm. <laughs> they accrued it is now at $277 billion what? in a backlog of unclaimed deductions. So they go, okay, so this year we spent all of this money and we only made this much revenue. So we've actually got negative. We've, you know, we've spent more money than we've made. And so we not only don't have to pay any tax, but in theory, like the government should be paying us money. Uh, so we're actually <laughs> going to not make you pay us that yet. We're going to hold it over till next year. And then when we come back and do our return again, I'm going to say, well, we had all those expenses from last year, so we deduct them against all the profits that we're increasingly making, especially, you know, obviously with rising gas prices at the moment, we're going to deduct them and still have to pay no tax. And that's why we haven't got any fucking money from gas These companies are supposed to pay for our schools and hospitals and make our society right. Like, isn't this where our wealth comes from? They are, yeah, yeah. It's really strange. We've got this gas-led recovery um right. and yet and yet it's almost like these companies are notorious tax dodgers Ooh. um we did that i don't know if we've got updated analysis on this but last year the grains did this analysis that showed that 27 gas companies earned 77 billion dollars in that preceding financial year in revenue without paying a single cent of tax um chevron is one of the worst for this they haven't voluntarily voluntarily paid any income tax or prrt in a seven year period in which they earned $40 billion, almost $40 billion in Jesus revenue. Um, so they Chevron, are doing by tough. the way, the company that sponsors the Australian of the Year awards. I don't know if oh, we've yeah. ever talked about this, but like the big old Chevron yeah. logo on, you know, this nation's national day celebrating great Australians brought to you by fucking Chevron, the perfect encapsulation yeah. of state capture in this fucking country. Yeah. So like when I was looking, when I was trying to understand how the PRRT works and looking at the history and stuff, and it seems like we have known for some time that this tax is broken and there have been like inquiries into it and people going, how can we fix this tax since it clearly isn't fucking working? No one's mm. fucking paying anything. They're not expected to pay anything for years. And the Greens brought a proposal in, you know, to the federal election last year saying that we would 
start charging royalties for offshore gas extraction in Commonwealth waters. So like I said, normally right now they just get the PRT. They don't get any base royalty rate. They don't have to pay any royalties. And we were saying, well, at least they should have a base royalty mm. rate um, and wipe that that backlog of accrued tax credits so that they actually have to start paying tax because the projections are that, yeah, based on how much they've accrued, a lot of these companies would just never end up paying any PRRT because they've just got billions and billions of dollars to, to work through before yeah. they actually have to pay anything. We got PBO costings that showed that by including onshore projects as well, um, and yet yeah, wiping that backlog, we could get $92.3 billion in additional revenue over the next decade. Sounds good, right? Sounds good to me. Yes, Sounds please. Good. Government said we will not be doing that. No. Uh, <laughs> government. Well, <comes> back. Government. <laughs> yeah. It, it looks but it's like, a good and- idea that provides justice and might, mm. you know, build some kind of social democracy in this country mm. and make people's lives better. They don't want to mm. do that. You don't understand how the market works, Tom. Oh, um, so it looks like they just they released the budget and gas companies were like, hey, why is there additional money projected for PRRT in the budget? Uh, and then the government, you know, explained the reforms that they would be making to the, the petroleum resource rent tax. They want to, and this is, as, I mean, every proposal that we keep, that we've spoken about, Labor bringing forward recently, where it's just this weird thing that you can barely understand what they're doing, and you're like, right. "Why would you make it so hard for yourself and be so terrible?" They just want to cap the deductions that a uh, gas company can can claim at ninety percent of revenue, and so then <laughs> the remaining ten percent they would actually have to pay this PRRT on. Amazing. But they would still be able to carry forward unused deductions to the following year and just keep building up and building up and building up that backlog. So that $277 billion was saying they don't want to touch that. That's all No, no, that's all no, no. no. Okay. It's right, very right. important. They earned that. They earned their little $277 of tax credits <laughs> somehow, um, you know, destroying our, our planet. Uh, this would raise $2.4 billion over four years. Again, maybe something to you, little pobos like you, Tom, <laughs> but truly in the scheme of the federal budget and the fact that there's those $277 billion sitting there or we could have $92.3 billion over 10 years, $2.4 billion over four years, what's that, like $600 million a year? Yeah. That is minuscule for the federal right. budget and for the profits that these companies are making. Right. Uh, and and, we did, and as, as was sort of regularly discussed around the budget, there is more money coming in from increasing student, student debt, debt, thanks to indexation, than we'll there is about. coming from this PRT. Yes, yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then further, furthermore, <laughs> we find out that there are certain exemptions to this cap for certain types of expenditure, so closing down expenditure, starting base expenditure, and resource tax expenditure, which are, <laughs> hang on, it sounds hang on. like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, closing down expenditure yeah. or starting up starting expenditure. Starting base, okay. yeah. All Just right, great. These, yeah. <laughs> For the Northwest Shelf, right. you will remember Woodside's biggest project. Right. And this is what the Greens are now referring to as a sweetheart deal for Woodside because this is the that's kind of the headlines that I saw this week when I mm. started noticing headlines again. 
Um, are you with me so far? <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, is there any justification whatsoever for that? Do Woodside pay enough yeah. tax according to these fucking cycles? That's, well, that is the justification is that I think they already pay um, resources probably to, is it like to the WA? Um, is this in right. WA? Yeah. They they already pay some form of, res- of sorry, of royalty. Mm. And so they shouldn't have to already pay for this. Uh, but I would hazard a guess that actually, yes, they do, and they are making enormous profits. And this is thought like the ju- there is a justification of having this. This is meant to be a secondary tax. The PRRT is meant to be a secondary tax on top of you know a base royalty rate because of the finite resources that these companies are exploiting, and you know as we know now, the significant contribution that gas uh, that burning gas has on fucking climate change. And if these resources are meant to be ours and this is meant to be our country and our planet, uh, then yes, like it is meant to be kind of an additional penalty, I guess, for engaging in that kind of exploration. Just as a reference, this is from February. Woodside Energy's full-year net profit has more than trebled to a record as oil and gas prices soared and it completed a merger with BHP's petroleum business that almost doubled production. Bottom line profit rose 228% to US $6.5 billion on sales that increased 142% to US $16.8 billion. Mm. So they're doing pretty, pretty well. Well, thankfully that has flown down to the rest of, you know, of the country. As that we has know, trickled down, which is our good. Our kind yes. of standard of living, wages, everything has increased by 220 Yeah, that is good. As well. That is good, yes. So it all It trickled down to the Labor Party, I'm sure, but um, yeah, not so well. much. <laughs> and so I guess it comes as no surprise that the APPEA, the Australian Petroleum Production and Exploration Association, like the Peabody for gas folks, are on board. They're like, they, they're kind of like, oh, if you have to change the scheme because, yes, we haven't been paying any money, then <laughs> this will do. We're fine with it. And Nick McKeon, I think it was Nick McKeon, right? It was a Green Senator asked in mm. estimates recently who was in the room when Treasury uh, was working on these changes and had to, they all signed a non-disclosure agreement, which is really <laughs> cool. Uh, and they gave them the full list and it's yeah. literally just all these. It's the APPEA, Woodside, BP, Chevron, Santos, ExxonMobil, Inpex, Japan, Australia, LMG. Like it's just and that's, that's who was in there, just that making the deal, just writing it together. Let's get in there and sort this out. And that's that's engagement with industry, of course. Um, yeah. Fucking hell. And it, you but know, no again, one else, like, yeah, just them. Just them. Oh, right. Okay, so no climate bodies or I don't know. Apparently, yeah. Like this is what um, I think one of Adam's staffers actually tweeted this out and said in response to a question about that, they were like, who was in the room? And that was the list that was given. Incredible stuff. I mean, yes, it, it's it's. It's tricky, right? Because you'd say like, oh, you need climate people in that room. But of course, in the minds of the fossil fuel industry or the government would argument is that this isn't a climate issue or this has nothing to do with the climate crisis necessarily. And like, mm. this is all just business and resources funding sure. funding our society. But of course, we all know that it is um, and is an extra element of that conversation. But of course, the government's never going to say, oh, you know, we're going to tax these people more because they're also killing the planet or the moral yeah. justification is there. The political argument is certainly there and the level of fondness for these companies from the uh, 
for the public is certainly diminished by the fact that they're literally cooking us alive. Mm. But uh, no, we can't talk about that. This is a this is about boring taxing and accounting and businesses yeah. that little brain people like you and I won't understand. Well, that's something I'm curious about. Like, I mean, do you think that the general public understanding of gas by this point is that it's it's a dangerous fossil fuel? Because you know we've spoken about this even in the time that we've been doing this show. Um, the idea like and gas obviously still trying to push this a lot and labor push this a lot that gas is a transition fuel that it's cleaner than coal basically that it's not so bad you know the rebranding of gas as natural gas Mm. like do you think that that has been pretty thoroughly debunked in the public's eyes yet um it's still the big the big fight i think you know i mean look Mm. what happened to coal i mean it's it's probably not put in the same category as coal um i Mm. think people fully get that you know coal bad and no new coal coal dead coal needs to be phased out but yes i mean it's extraordinary the gas industry has been been able to reposition itself and use its propaganda use its considerable resources and its allies within the government and the state capture that they've managed to to roll out to to change the story about about what gas is and how it's uh, not as bad as other fossil fuels when, in fact, well, yeah. we know, particularly if you expand production and, um, you know, uh, make massive gas projects, of course it's as bad because you're, you're extracting and burning way more of it and that's a real problem. Yeah, yeah, and we know that, you know, like the fugitive emissions even from from gas extractions yes. are incredibly significant. Methane is a more potent fossil fuel than than carbon in that, than CO2 in that regard. Like, um, but But, yeah, to the extent that, even that gas gets public funding under kind of clean energy pools, you know, um, buckets of of money. And like in Queensland, CleanCo, the publicly owned renewable energy company, invests in gas, new gas um, projects. And like isn't it, you know, Arena, the renewable energy um, funding agency, we only recently kind of, Stop them from funding gas? Are they still yeah. funding gas? Or I think the Greens did. Yes, I think the Greens did win that one, or at least yeah, yeah. stop that kind of yeah. funding. And I think that was a Morrison government attempt to try and fund fossil fuels yeah. with but the it's renewable energy uh, uh, agency. Yeah. So should we clarify? Like we're talking about it this week, because my understanding was mm. that the you know yeah. So this we learned a lot about this shitty changes to the tax system through the budget, but this mm-hmm. will require separate legislation separate, that the Greens yes. are kind of gearing up for that fight. Is that right? Yeah, it's governed. I don't remember the name of, of the act, but there is like basically a Petroleum Resources Rent Tax Act, I think, mm-hmm. that needs to be amended to implement these changes. And again, it was looking like the Greens could be in balance of power, which is why we were pushing for our changes. So what we have said is that in order for us to support Labor's bill, what we what we would want is to, again, we want a 10% base royalty rate for all of the offshore projects that are subject to the PRRT. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to pay at least something. Yep. And we want to include onshore projects They because I think they were removed, like they, they were added in, in 2012 or anyway, they were removed by the Libs in 2019. We want to say bring them back into the um, PRRT scheme and we want to wipe that $277 billion backlog. Yes, please. Um, and then the government came back with this this shitty tinkering kind of proposal and we're saying this is absolutely fucked. You at least need, yeah, like a base royalty rate and you should really do something about that backlog. But I think the the problem is that it's looking somewhat likely that like probably they may not need us because they'll just team up with the coalition to pass it. Right. 
And the coalition yeah. is saying they'll support it if the government makes it yeah. easier to they approve have gas condition? projects. Yes. Yes. Jesus so Christ. we will support your bill to make gas companies pay more tax if you also make it easier for the gas companies to expand their dangerous polluting projects and make even more pro- profit. Um, I mean, I guess, look, you you can't say it's not a truly liberal proposal. Uh, <laughs> it is in keeping with their values. So, I, I mean, I remember, like, remember we had this conversation about, like, a super coalition or something in the lead up to the election we were talking about <laughs> the major parties working together. Right. Um, and we, I think we were, we were saying that particularly on the matter of, of fossil fuels and climate change, like, that's probably one issue where they are very likely to be on a unity ticket. And clearly that's the case. Where they can reach across the aisle. I mean, and it's really important to understand, and I know we've mentioned many times, I'm sure listeners to this podcast are aware, but Woodside in particular is a fossil fuel company that is so closely aligned with the Labor Party, hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations, particularly in WA. You've had Labor ministers leave government and go straight onto the board of Woodside. Um, It is They are so close and Woodside are so massive and pretty much run the state of Western Australia that you know yeah. it is the most clear and egregious example of the fossil fuel industry donating directly to a political party and getting sweet returns on that investment. So clear, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've. Uh, I know. I think we joke sometimes that Queensland Labor is a wholly owned subsidiary of Santos. Like yes. that's kind of the equivalent in Queensland is that um, Santos just has such a, a massive influence on on government um, by virtue of the yeah the the corporate donations that they make and the positions that they offer politicians, particularly Labor politicians, upon retirement. Um, and yeah. that's, yeah, that's fucking that, corrupt politics. That's bullshit, yes. Perhaps the other argument to make is that, of course, the, yeah, the, 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 the classic argument wheeled out against taxing profits or taxing companies is like, oh, then you'll discourage investment or there'll be capital flight. These businesses will go to other countries. Oh, yeah. And it's like these are resources it's, that are in the here. ground here. They're, they're literally not, nowhere yeah. else you can get them. That's they're the point. here. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> it's dumb ridiculous. But, of yeah. course, Gina Reinhardt, as we mentioned in the live show last last week, is out there telling people to spread the mining message every every spend 15 minutes of every day to spread the mining message to sort of you know ward off against things like this you know the idea that they're coming Mm. for our taxes and of course when the mining tax was introduced we saw the uh, power of the fossil fuel lobby being rolled out with a multi-million dollar um, advertising campaign trying to terrify people and say that if you tax resources if you tax mining um, everyone's going to be whacked by the mining tax. They need a little mining flag, hashtag mining ally. Stand up for your mining <laughs> mining comrades. Show some solidarity with mining corporations. Uh, $24,272 in student loan debt. $42,017 in debt. $28,587 worth of student debt. Michael Torpy, my show Paid Off is the only game show working to end the student debt crisis. Paid Off series premiere July 10th. The more you know, the less you owe. Uh, Well, as we mentioned there, the PRT, according to the Labor government, is so shit that it's raising less money than (laughs) what they're raising from increasing student debt, which is also very relevant to this week. Fat cat students. Finally, they've had it too good for too long. Yeah, that's right. Emerald Moon, what is your hex help situation? Where what are your what are your stats? And what did you find out this week? Mm-hmm. Uh, like the more 
student debt that you'll be um, willingly paying to the wonderful government for the crime of wanting to learn? What do you got? <laughs> I've definitely been a, like, I pretend I do not see it, just don't look at it person with Genius. Hex for many, many years, but I couldn't not. Um, oh, <laughs> yesterday when obviously it came up in the office, we're sitting around, one of my colleagues was saying, oh, my Hex has gone up by however many thousands of dollars. Um, and I went to check. I was, I was going to say, I'm surprised we haven't seen, I don't know, has Bill Shorten like self-congratulatorily tweeted about record MyGov downloads or <laughs> accesses yesterday? Because I would be willing to bet that a record number of people yesterday were logging into ATO via MyGov like I did to see what my hex is looking like. Yep. Uh, for me, it went up by almost two grand to $28,000. Oh, my lordy. Really cool. Yeah. What was your degree again? What I just it? did a fucking humanities degree. I did a fucking Bachelor of Communications. I went an exchange. So actually, and I was saying, I think probably the main reason I ended up going to uni, I never planned to go to uni, and then I found out you could go on exchange. Mm. And I was like, okay, I will go to uni. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can get like loans that go onto your hex to do that. Obviously, I never thought about the fact that I will now be paying it off for you know probably the rest of my life. Forever. Of course, that degree was invaluable because you did that politics like 101 course. I did is, that politics. Yeah, I did throughout. intro to politics. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And here we are. So if only, you know, if I could turn back time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the ABC ran this calculator. If you have a hex set, you want to find out exactly how much um, your hex set has gone up. Maybe you've already found out by yourself, but you can enter this calculation, enter in what your hex set is. And thanks to this indexation thing that happened this week, you'll find out how much more has been added to the total. It was the 1st of June. The student debt of more than 3 million Australian graduates rose sharply as fuck. Thanks to Hex Help, that's the Higher Education Contribution Scheme, although it's technically not called HEX anymore, it's the Higher Education Loan Program, all that debt and vocational loans are indexed to inflation. Wait, Tom, what's your what's yours? Um, I went. I, I got a scholarship to do six weeks of a law degree oh and then God. dropped out. So you just don't have any student debt? <laughs> I got no student debt. <laughs> or <mine>. education. <laughs> I don't know anything, but I'm debt-free, baby. Yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, last year's student debts went up by 3.6% thanks to indexation. On Thursday, they went up by 7.1%. That is the sharpest single rise yeah. since 1990. And this is what, like, I was talking about because I then was having this conversation with my colleagues where I was like, should I just pour my savings into paying down my student debt? Like, would yeah. that be a good use of my money to then prevent that from, you know, coming out of my pay packet for the next however many years. Yeah. Because the thing is that my savings account, the interest rate is like three and a half percent, like literally less than half of the amount right. that this is being indexed by. And so I'm like, anyway, I we couldn't really wrap our heads around what's a better use of, of the money, whether it's to just actually have that money in your account where you can fucking use it or try and not have debt. But it is pretty cooked that it's gone up by twice the amount that you're probably getting on a standard savings account. Yes, yes. Banks love to jack up interest rates, uh, but not so much on the return savings rates. Of, yeah. You know. uh, it means the average hex help debt of around $25,000 will rise by 1775 bucks, and it's extraordinary. The, these debts are rising faster than people could pay them off. So you've probably heard yeah. seeing a lot of people saying, I've spent the past year paying off this debt and it's mm -hmm. higher than before. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like a hydro. Exactly. I, keep off I these feel debts. like I'm like one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. 
Research by the Parliamentary Library suggests another 3.9% increase is likely in 2024. We could all look forward to that. Of course, it means the repayment threshold, that's the level of income at which the HEX repayments start getting deducted from your pay, that is also increased thanks to inflation too. So that's gone from (laughs) $48,361 to $51,550. So I guess it won't cut in as early. Which will get you zero homes probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can't afford any good homes to rent or buy on that income. Yes, that's very true. Yes, it's still extremely low. So when HEX was first introduced in the early 90s, it, the cutting rate was basically the average wage, not the median mm. wage, the average, average wage at that time. Yeah. Over time, thanks to That would just be too to, high now. That's that'd be far thing. too high. Yeah, it'd be ridiculous. Because there's these outliers who have so much fucking money. Sorry. Right. So the, yeah, that, that uh, in th- uh, repayment threshold has progressively got lower and lower over the history of Hex, so people are paying back um, Hex earlier and earlier over their income life. Uh, while student nets keep up with inflation are going up by 7.1%, of course, wages are not doing that. Wage growth is currently sitting around just 3.7%. So your debts index, it's important to maintain the real value mm. of your debts, whereas your wages actually going backwards. Feels mm. good. Economics. The Greens and some Teals have been campaigning around this indexation, asking the government to do something to address the avalanche of student debt, to quote Maureen Faruqi, that is drowning us all. Of course, Labor says, no big deal. Hex is awesome. Nothing will or really needs to change anytime soon. I think we've got a sense of how you feel about it, Emerald, but I, I, I'm interested in like how much of this issue weighs heavily on your mind, both on a personal level with the, the mm-hmm. debt you were talking about there, but also politically, the role of student debt in Australian politics. How do you think about yeah. it? Yeah. Like, because I would honestly say not that heavily up until recently. Right. Uh, But yesterday was, that's the thing, like I couldn't continue my work without looking at this and trying to figure out, do I need to do something about this? Like it was, it's fucking stressful. And I could, I would say that I was one of hundreds, like probably thousands of people yesterday who did a similar thing, who had like a, a similar moment of being like, oh, fuck. Do you know like what kind of dollar amount per week you'd be looking at with your hex repayment of this system? Would it be? Um, I looked it up and I don't remember. I get paid really well. So like what I think I do better than I ever have before. It's like it is hundreds, I think, that I'm paying. So, you know, like for me, I guess it's. No. A week? A fortnight. Potentially, yeah, like more than. I, I'd have to look at it again, but I reckon it could be more than a hundred a week mm. from my tax. Yeah, right. But but that's the thing. Like, I feel like I'm okay with that, but I think it is enough that it would be sig- a significant deduction from an average person's income, particularly if, if you're at that lower rate. If you're just on fifty grand a year and you're trying mm. to pay rent, and you're also having to pay your hex, like. Mm. That's pretty cooked. And I mean, the other thing though that that really made me, that I was thinking about a lot was the fact that it can affect your borrowing capacity if you want to buy a house. And like yeah. how ironic it is that young people who already struggle to fucking buy a home, mm. it's just another thing that's going to make it harder for us to ever enter into the, the property market. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's important on the line. This is not harmless debt, and we'll get to that in a sec. I will say, I mean, I think this is cooked. I think the whole hex system is cooked, which we'll also get to. But I, I guess my my take is like the indexation does make sense in the context of hex. Like if you're going to have these student loans, I suppose I understand the vague logic that you would maintain the real value of the loan because you know it's going to take people so long to pay it off. Is that a, right. is that a ridiculous take to have? But it's like 
well, you would, you know, you if you want to maintain the real value of the debt, if the whole system is predicated on people paying off this real value over a long period of time, then you would index it to keep the real value. But it's like, what is the real value? What do you mean? Because you got the service, to, if you got the service 10 years ago, like shouldn't you only pay for the service that you received 10 years ago, not an equivalent now? The equivalent amount to maintain it. Well, but I guess if the level of debt is on the government books, then the debt would just be sort of, you know, hacked away at over time, courtesy of inflation, and the the, the amount I would mean, go away. But government debt is a different thing. I mean, I guess it's a strong argument for just not fucking having fees, isn't it? Yes, that's my major position. I suppose, I'm, yes, it's just, and I understand people, you know, campaigning against the indexation now because it's, you know, it's so insane. It's like gone up by seven percent. It's so big, and it hits young people and you know, indebted graduates now. I, I guess just if I'm putting on my hex you know, defense or um, logic brain, if you see things through the prism of, you know, this is the hex system, I guess I understand why the indexation exists. Um, it just has these mm. perverse outcomes when you're in a cost of living crisis. Guess what? Your debt's going up. Congratulations. You're welcome. Yeah, but it does, yeah. And I think it is very true that I don't know if this is different for people thinking about going to uni now, thinking about taking out a hex debt now, mm. but absolutely people, I, you know, when I went to uni, what, when I, what was it, eight years ago or something, I was taught that Hex was like not a real loan, doesn't really yeah. matter, no interest. I never heard anything about the fact that it would increase for any reason, heard nothing right. about indexation. Yeah. Had no idea. Like, yeah. A little bit of extra Hex cookness that I learned about in this week and, you know, shout out to uh, Teal's like, Kylie Tink and, and some others who are sort of trying to raise awareness about this. I was not under, I did not understand this. The ATO applies indexation on the 1st of June, but they don't process your loan repayments until after they've done the tax returns. So that means that the oh. hex payments that are coming out of your paycheck throughout Even the year you pay them. are not deducted from the loan that is then indexed. That is fucked. Isn't that insane? So the amount of yes. hex debt that you're that's indexed is actually going to be way more than what you've what you've paid off because they don't count in all those payments from the past year when they do the indexation on the first of June. They sort out taxes by sort of October uh, October um, around then. So yes, people are already their their loans are already going up substantially because all the stuff you pay off throughout the year is not counted when indexation kicks in. Yeah. <laughs> Really that is, system. yeah. Wow, I didn't know that cool thing. Yeah. And that is potentially something that might, you you figure out, might the, be able to change. But. Change? Surely if they like, yeah, if they're looking for a technocratic um, solution that they don't actually have to fundamentally, you know, yeah. overhaul the system, like that could be one thing. That could know. be one. So how, how bad this problem is in Australia is an interesting discussion, I think. You can mm -hmm. start it by saying, yes, it is not as bad as America where you have all these private loan companies um, okay. Yeah, how does it work in America and how does it work in the UK as well? Because I know like a lot of, you know, British comedy that I watch, they'll also they'll often kind of have jokes about like student loans knocking yeah. on your door and hassling you. I My understanding is maybe the UK is also a government system. That is, you loan the money to the state in order to go, I think. But it sounds like you really get hassled about right. it. Like okay. they're often, yeah, you know, they're like student loans or they're running from student loans knocking like – 
calling them and hassling them to repay them. Right. Well, in America, it's certainly, you know, predatory loan, private loan companies are the ones that people turn to often. Um, uh, yes, and are brutal and the interest rates are insane. Interest, they have interest rates, yeah. Yes, okay. and it's no good. So it's better than that. I think that's admitting that is not in any way a dent in our argument at all. Tertiary education is still subsidized by the state. You are expected to pay back a portion of your university degree over time. That's an interest-free loan, so it doesn't accrue any interest, but it is indexed to inflation, as we found out very painfully this week, and it is income contingent. So the amount that you pay back is dependent on how much money you earn, and you don't start paying it back until you reach that that minimum, which is now 51K a year, and it's about 1% of the loan loan repayments you're going to start paying at, at that bracket, and then the amount of the loan you need to pay increases as your income increases, if it does. <laughs> the total hex help uh, level of debt in this country is sitting around $74 billion. That's the from the whole program since it was introduced in the 90s. The average debt is about $25,000 a student, so that's the average, and that has been steadily increasing for a very long time over time again. This slippery slope argument, the hex debts have increased again and again and again, so the average debt per student has increased over time. And it's now taking people, like most people, at least a decade to, to pay off the hex debt. But I would say, you know, lots of people have experience of it going a lot longer than that. I think, yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. That's, I guess that's, yeah, all depending on how much money you earn in that, in that decade um, and whether mm. you, the traditional path of getting a degree, getting into a good job and, you know, getting mm. steady pay increases yeah. uh, in real terms, which of course is a fantasy for a shitload of people. There was one case study I read about this week. A student undertaking a four-year law degree will graduate with more than 60K in debt and it'll take about 32 years for them to repay that loan, which will have increased to $100,000 by the time it's paid off. Now, whether you're crying for lawyers or not or whether you think we have too many lawyers or people, too many people with law degrees is is one thing, but that's pretty, sure, but pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You know, they still <laughs> shouldn't have to no. be saddled with that debt for, you know, learning for that long if they become a corporate lawyer and start earning shitloads of money uh, maybe they should pay more tax how about that yeah exactly uh there are more than seventy thousand graduates out there in australia with debts exceeding a hundred thousand dollars which is also important to note because of course john howard famously in the 90s said oh we're not gonna have a hundred thousand dollar degrees don't be ridiculous well i mean and yes obviously i think maybe this goes without saying but it is true that there are expectations of higher and higher levels of education i would say like a, yes. a lot of, it's far more common now for people to be expected to also have a master's yes. uh, when, yeah, in the past that was kind of reserved for like academia almost, you know, only a few people would go beyond just a, a bachelor's degree. And obviously even fewer people would be expected to have a bachelor's degree to get employment. It's, I've read, I'm researching this for the book. It's something like one in three jobs now require a tertiary education and mm. something like nine out of 10 new jobs that are being created will ex- will have that ex- yeah. expectation attached to them. So, I mean, it's of course, we are presented with this idea of a university degree as entirely a perf- personal benefit to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all about like how amazing it's going to make your life. Forgetting that society needs people with tertiary education in order to function and business profits from people having higher levels of education, right? Like yeah. th- these are social expectations put upon us as workers, as people entering the workforce and as young people, setting aside the fact that learning stuff about the world is good and should be valuable and encouraged yeah. by society. But it's not like, you know, it's just our own greedy, selfish little interest in getting qualified in order to, to know stuff. I lounge about it's- on campus and <laughs> sit in my safe space for free. Also, this, this debt is often presented, as we were saying, as sort of, you know, kind of harmless. Oh, it's so much better in the U.S. It's just a debate. Yeah. Doesn't it doesn't attract interest and it's not fine. No. Hanging 
Tens of th- surprise, surprise, having tens of thousands of debts hanging over you has a negative impact. A recent study from the National Tertiary Education Union found that 59% of people said that student debt had affected their ability to buy a house, as you were saying, Emerald. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. people saying that. I would say the actual percentage, yeah, you know, more. affected would be way more than that that you just might not know. But when you go and apply for a home loan, banks absolutely look at your hex debt mm. and it's a consideration as to how um, reliable you are as a, as a um, mortgagee. 51% uh, were still repaying debts in their 40s. And you hear all these stories, people doing the calculations, they're like, oh, at this rate, uh, I'm yeah. not going to pay off my hex until I reach my 70s, and shit like that. Yeah, I think, yeah. The NTU has also said that indexation means student fees are now rising four times faster than university funding. So that sounds pretty cool, the state <laughs> stepping away from funding universities and just hitting students with uh, with higher, higher loan rates. Yeah, targeted Maybe. measures, you know. So what are the Greens saying about this? Last year, Green Senator Maureen Fruki introduced a bill to pause indexation and significantly increase the repayment threshold. A Senate inquiry, which I believe was Labor-dominated, rejected that bill saying, oh, no, it would increase the amount of hex debt that would be repaid. It would send the wrong message. The Australian government is a debt collector. It is a loan shark. The most important thing is that we recoup the costs associated with educating our population so we can't possibly send a signal that, uh, you know, people should take longer to pay back their hex hex debts. Right. That's what's important here. Yeah, cool. Okay. Ahead of this indexation on Thursday, crossbench MPs, including the Greens and um, a bunch of Teals as well, and independent Helen Haynes, wrote to the Education Minister and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, asked them to, to freeze it. Uh, in light of the cost of living crisis. A few other suggestions. The NTU has said, I'll oh, use last year's 3.6% rate. At least that would be, you know, slightly more manageable than 7.1%. Mm-hmm. The National Union of Students have suggested indexing hex debt to wage growth. What do you think mm-hmm. about that? As opposed to inflation, why not increase hex debts, you know, as, as in the same rate as wages yeah. are supposed to be going up? That would be I mean, at I least think, more reasonable. I think you're right that if you use, like, the market logic upon which hex is built yeah that's less like it makes less sense within that framework within like a neoliberal economic framework right. but in terms of what's fairer obviously it would make a lot more sense you're saying the market isn't fair mm, yeah almost like those are complete opposites the Greens been campaigning around it. There was uh, an image of Albo and uh, the sign he went to uni for free whereas mm-hmm. you know your student debt is going up which is, again, a classic argument that's been around for a long time. These people who are defending, rolling out, introducing, you know, championing the hex scheme mm-hmm. are people who went to university for free, overwhelmingly yeah. boomers who during the 15 years in which tertiary education was free, uh, you know, graduated with no student debt whatsoever and now telling us that we need to pay. Yeah. Do you think it still works? Like it's still yeah. it's still a good attack. Though, I right? think it's it does. Exposition. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because I think we've spoken about this before, like a lot, you know, politics is the art of the possible or whatever it is, uh, and reminding people that it is incredibly possible and, in fact, was the fact in recent history to have mm. free uni degrees. Like that's an important part of the project to continue advancing. But also, yes, to keep reminding people just how fucking, I don't know, yeah, how, how fucked it is that the people who are making the, these decisions directly benefited from uh, the opposite decisions in, yeah. in the past, and yet they they want to climb the ladder and and you know kick it out from underneath them for us. Right. Uh, what has the government's response been? It's been 
Education Minister Jason Glare, who graduated in 1989, so just the year that the Great first album. sort of hex payments were being introduced or at least charging for higher education was introduced. So he would have paid a, something for his degree in the early 90s, but it would have been substantially less than the massive debts that people are carrying around them with them today. He said in question time on Wednesday there were no changes to HEX in the works. Changing the way HEX is indexed doesn't put an extra dollar in the pocket of a university student today. He said, hey, we're helping, st- <laughs> we're helping students by uh, in the May budget. We lifted the rate of job seeker youth allowance of study and ab study by $40 a fortnight, which we should remember is $2.80 a day. Mm. Doesn't put an extra dollar or an extra $2.8 in the pocket. <laughs> of university students. Yeah. I mean, again, I can kind of, like in terms of the cost of living crisis. um, Yeah, HEX isn't the biggest issue. HEX is not the biggest issue. No, so fair enough. But this is still clearly, and also the Greens has obviously made this point, that clearly this is an argument and an example of how cooked the HEX system is more broadly Mm. and sort of saying like this is what it results in, this is how unfair it is. You know, and and Greens have a policy of wiping student debt and making tertiary education free, universal, and, and have public education for everyone. You know, is trying to use this to batter away this whole sort of neoliberal system yeah. that we have now. And that's just, I mean, yeah, obviously that response is a deflection, uh, and it's like, ironically, yeah, it's like whataboutism, but then pointing back to something that they're also shit on. So it's like, oh, you want to be like, but that's not helping people with cost of living right now, mind you. Neither are we. But. <laughs> Hey, we're not shit on this front. We're shit on this other front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but of course, yeah. So I think Claire recognizes that. And so whenever you talk about student debt or whatever, the immediate labor response is to defend the whole HEX system and say, no, this is fantastic. And, and HEX is a great system and help loans aren't like a mortgage. They don't in, in, attract interest. It's fantastic. It only, you only pay back as much as you owe and it only affects how much you earn. And more importantly, this pivot to edu- university educations are great it's hex that have allowed more people to go to uni than ever before. And this is really the crux of things that we have to take on and fight. Okay. You'll even have people from universities, Australia defending hex saying more people got to go to uni than ever before. Thanks to the introduction of the hex and the expansion of the tertiary education sector. And we have to be able to say, fuck you. That is not the only option. That's not the only way to help more people go to university. That was a choice made by the Hawke-Keating government a government that was cutting corporate taxes and income taxes at the same time they were saying, no, we need to shift a bunch of the costs of providing university education directly onto students. Yeah. I mean, surely making it free increased the number of people who went to uni. Well, so the response to that is that when university was free, it was much more limited. The They had less money. The university sector had less money to offer fewer places. And so Bruce mm-hmm. Chapman, who is the architect of HEX, this public servant that's you know beloved by um, the Labor government, that they're bringing back to talk to this university's accord um, idea that you know is going to roll out to try and look at affordability of a tertiary education. Mm-hmm. He says in the countries where there's free education, there's way fewer places. And that's just not true. That is an absolute lie. Again, researching this in the book, the example of Ireland, for example, which has uh, has a higher tertiary participation rate than us here in Australia, and they've had fee-free full-time undergraduate degrees since the mid-90s. There are all these countries, Norway, Ireland, Sweden, Germany, Finland, Greece, Scotland, and Slovenia, that offers free, uh, you know, tuition-free public education. And so that's that's just simply not true. I mean, yes, it would cost billions and billions of dollars, 
But I thought we all agree that people knowing stuff and being educated is really good for society. Yeah. And the OECD has consistently found that I think the the uh, public ends up benefiting twice as much as individuals yeah. from our collective investment in tertiary education. Yeah. And also it's just like bringing back Bruce Chapman, whose whole job now is to defend Hex and talk about how amazing Hex is. You bring him back into this university's accord thing, guess what he's not going to critique or suggest that we should change it anyway? Yeah. Our Hex system. Yeah. No, I know. That's the thing. Yeah, when you become famous for like being the architect of one theory or one system, you're not then like you are so attached to, you are materially invested in maintaining the validity of that system yeah. and not, you know, you're not going to turn around and be like, okay, actually. It's just, yeah, whenever you hear anyone say that, you know, Hex is responsible for that, it's just like that's not the only choice. That's a false choice that's yeah. been presented. The Hawke yeah. County government could have invested billions of dollars more in the university education system, made it a, a priority to provide, you know, tertiary education and, you know, vocational education as well through the TAFE system to everybody who, who wants it. That's absolutely something we can provide in this country. Yeah. Of course, it's Green's policy to wipe all that student debt, that $74 billion, make education universal, free and well-funded. Making uni free now would cost something in the order of five to six billion dollars a year, which is you know totally doable, that is, particularly considering yeah. all the other stuff we're spending money on. Maybe increase mm-hmm. that PRT, and then we could afford it. Yeah, that would be more than half of what we need. <laughs> oh, sorry, that would be double what we need. I mean, double what we need, almost. Um, but that's the last question on this. Some people on the left have often said when when the Greens are making a lot of noise about wiping student debt, um, people who might be sympathetic to other Greens policies or you know, broadly on the left will say that this is not a priority. You know, like if I had to spare $74 billion, it's not where I'd spend it. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a class analysis that, you know, most people or lots of people have university degrees are out of touch or at least belong to a certain level of, um, of uh, class society. It's middle class welfare, et cetera, et cetera. What, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? that argument as to whether this is where our emphasis and focus should be as a party. I agree. It's not number one focus. And like, yep. if we were genuinely in, you know, in government or in a balance of power situation where we were figuring out, figuring out where to spend our money, I feel like it should be like housing, health, welfare first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think, I mean, and then kind of cynically speaking, politically speaking in, in a similar way, that I, I think it's important for us to continue establishing ourselves as the party of renters. Like I think mm. establishing ourselves as, as the party of, you know, students and, and public education uh, and, and young people, graduates, like that is also valuable and helps frame the Greens as the kind of party that we want to be, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I think, it, yeah, it also works for, you know, relationships with the NTEU, for example. I think the Greens should have, you know, strong relationships with unions across the board, the NTEU campaigns on this. And if we're like the only party out there sort of mm-hmm. saying we believe in free, truly free, universal public mm-hmm. tertiary education, I think that's sort of valuable. Also, yeah, like and reestablishing university as something that isn't just for the middle no, and the, class. Yes, like of that's course. the whole point of free university is that it's accessible for everyone regardless of your background and that would then, I, I would say, also make it easier to reestablish a culture of, you know, political ad- activism um, in unis yes. and, and through education that is like could very much help and is potentially essential to to growing a, a mass movement of the working class. Like mm. if you are talking big picture kind of, you know, revolutionary stuff and, and left politics, um, rebuilding the education, the public education sector and allowing access to it. Uh, for the working class is kind of an essential part of that, right? Yeah. And, you know, the HEX system is neoliberalism 
like 101, yeah. <laughs> ironically. Mm. Um, it is just such a clear example of this idea of the reduction to the individual. So why the fuck should I spend any of my tax money on your education? That's ridiculous, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the, the, and the idea that you're learning stuff about the world, literature, history, science is an indulgence that like mm. you, the you, a greedy little you want to take on in order to improve yourself and to earn more money. Forget the impact that your education has on the rest of society or the fact that you know society should bear the cost of educating our young people both because education is good in and of itself and also the rewards that are that the flow through to everybody else. And yes, yeah. as you're right, universities are only elite institutions because of that's the way that was set up in the history. Yeah. We can we can change that. We can ex- expand yeah. and extend education to everybody because that's what everyone deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to have dropped out because um, <laughs> I realized early on that these, these student loans are basically small business loans and the business is you. And you're maybe not such a great business. (laughs) Look, if they call them small business loans, no 18-year-old kid would ever get the loan because it's a bad idea for a business. If you had to go to the bank, to the small business desk, and ask me, like, yeah, I'm going to need $150,000, they'd be like, all right, what's your business idea? All right, here's the idea. For the next four years, I'm going to get blackout drunk. (laughs) But also, I'm going to get a degree in sociology <laughs> they'd be like get the fuck out of our bank be like that's fine i will but just know that i did have a way to pay you guys back it's going to give you 80 dollars a month for the next 240 years the housing saga continues and we continue to request your action on it <laughs> there is Another week of action coming up. I think there's events across the country. Uh, week of action on housing. We, the Greens, continue to be locked in negotiations with uh, the government on the housing bill, which is cooked and will make the crisis worse. And it's an incredibly important political fight. And it's incredibly important that we, like, regardless of the outcome, are able to reach ordinary people and have face-to-face conversations about them and their experience of housing and how we can build a movement to, you know, establish housing as, as, as a right for people and not just um, a, a profit-making opportunity and a, and a commodity. And so I would say that that's, you know, doing these weeks of actions when we have something on, on the table that we can talk about is a really important part of that project. So if you can get to a, a door knock or a cooling session or whatever is happening um, in your community, we'll chuck the link to volunteer in the show notes. And I think if you sign up to volunteer, then someone will get in touch and, and let you know what's happening in your local area. But you could also contact your local branch or office if you've got an elected rep and, and see what's happening for you in the, the coming week. And just remind, this is working, right? Like the Greens mm. pressure is actually working. Oh, yeah. You're actually pushing the conversation. You've, you've seen Labor MPs come out and sort of say, you know, try and lobby um, <laughs> uh, the government on on certain housing fronts. The way the media is talking about this has really changed. That's a huge testament to Max and his team and all mm. these volunteers and members who are pushing that conversation. So please don't feel like it's futile. It's, it is absolutely working and, and, yeah. and shaping the conversation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Another little quick one, Equality Australia is looking for stories of queer people facing discrimination in religious schools and organisations. I guess we're going to get the Labor version of the Religious religious Discrimination Bill Bill at some point. Got to come soon, yeah. Yeah, God. So if you have an experience of being discriminated against as an LGBTQIA plus 
person, either in a school or an organization more broadly. Um, they're doing this big survey. You can totally do it anonymously if you don't want to, um, you know, uh, attach your name to it or what have you. But all those experiences will help Equality Australia's sort of lobbying efforts. And they have been really effective in the past before in calling out bullshit laws and protecting the rights of queer people. So there's a survey link that we'll put in the show notes if that relates to you and that's a story that you want to share. Help them out if you can. Yes. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. It helps us get the word out. It would make us happy. Leave a five-star review, say something nice. You can also support the show by signing up as a patron on Patreon. Uh, the info is on seriousdangerpod.com. It's just three bucks a month or however much you want to chip in um, beyond that to help pay our producer, Mike. That's where the money goes. He needs money to live and he makes the show happen. So if we don't have that money effectively, show doesn't happen. It's that simple, folks. And it means we can do it without, you know, like having to have sponsors or ads or anything, which would be weird and no one would like that. <laughs> um, who, who would buy ad space on Serious Danger, do you think? I don't know, news sites, fans, <laughs> ah, Sky news. food companies that I like. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube at Serious Danger AU. Uh, shoot us an email, hello at seriousdangerpod.com. I think that's it. We love you very much. Bye. Bye, everyone. This is Serious Danger Australia.